You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We have a special guest speaker today. Um, You may know him. He's one of our very own, Mike Dickerman. (laughs) Mike and his wife, Laura, have attended QCC with their four beautiful daughters for seven years. Uh, He volunteers on the Usher team, and she teaches in our kids' classes. Mike owns a digital marketing firm in Matthews, and Laura enjoys being a stay-at-home mom. Uh, Give it up for Mike Dickerman. Well, good morning. Well, there's at least two of you here. All right. I'm a little bit nervous because I don't do this very often, but I think, well, I'll get into it here in a minute. I have to prepare all my stuff. All right. Well, where do I start? I think the devil really comes after you hard when you're on the right track. When I was preparing for this talk, I had to do a great deal of thinking and remembering and even putting together my own story for myself after all this time. And what I came to realize was that I'm more satisfied with who I am now than I've ever been in my life. And I feel better about the direction I'm going in, even though I don't know where that, what, what that is. It's just a big empty canvas on which to paint anything. Um, and as soon as I came to that resolution, all of a sudden the devil just came at me hard, like starting Monday. Like, are you really happy? Are you really not a little bitter? Is it really not that person's fault or this person's fault? Is it? And for the first couple of days of this week, you can ask my wife, I was just somewhere else fighting that out. So what I, what I came to realize was that, well, no, no, I was, I was right. I feel really good about where I'm at, where God has brought me to. Um, and I basically was like, you know what? You can't do that to me. It tells me that while this story is just part of my life story, um, it, what, I, what I learned out of it, someone else can get something from. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been chased down early in the week. So, without further ado, I was born in the Panama Canal Zone, And I lived on a little island called Ali Gandhi. My parents were missionaries. Um, I grew up... (laughs) I grew up in a little Kuna Indian village for the first two years of my life. Um, When I was 18 months old, I moved to 
Colombia, South America, central Colombia. And it's right in the middle of the country. To the north is the Andes Mountains, to the south, the Amazon River Basin. And this is what would be considered the central grasslands of Colombia, what they call the Llanos Orientales. And it's a mix of jungle and hills, and it's beautiful. It's unlike any other place in the world I've been. And my life there was very exciting. I lived in a little place called Loma Linda. You could only get there uh, in a bush plane. And I spent most of my time in the wilderness. Um, I grew up with the same group of five or six, ten kids my whole life, from the time I was a toddler until the time I graduated from high school. So a very small missionary community. And I spent a lot of time with indigenous people. Um, we didn't have any technology. We didn't have any cell phones, no internet. <laughs> so the wilderness and the jungle was really our playground. We spent most of our time spearfishing and alligator hunting and camping. And, you know, it's a wonderful place. And when I wasn't doing that, I was hanging out with the uh, Colombian army who had... <laughs> who had, had posted up a, on the other side of our airstrip, that little red roof building. The, 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 the Colombian government decided that it would be good to protect the Americans who were out in the middle of nowhere, so they put an army base next to us. But if you know anything about Colombia in the 80s or 90s, you'll know that it was a, in the middle of a civil war, and it was a, a very kind of a dangerous place for the average American to be, for sure. If you've seen the Netflix show Narcos season one, that is exactly what it was like there. And I lived through all that, the Pablo Escobar era, the car bombs, the threat of kidnapping was uh, always high. We grew up with a very acute sense of situational awareness, not only for things in the jungle like snakes, but also from um, bad guys who would, uh, you know, not have a good agenda. I didn't realize until 25 or 30 years later that my childhood was traumatic. <laughs> I, I always thought it was amazing, and I still do. I wouldn't have traded it for anything. Um, so, I eventually graduated from high school and had to come to live in the United States. And... I don't know how to exactly describe what it's like to... I, I lived in the United, in Michigan in my second grade school year and my eighth grade school year. But other than that, I spent my entire life in South America. And not just in, in South America, but in a very remote place. So when I graduated from high school and came to the United States to live and to sort of get to know my homeland, as it were, uh, it was like um, total culture shock. I knew what basketball was and football, but I didn't particularly know the rules or um, like to be in a place where all of a sudden everybody had everything and you could eat as much bubblicious as you wanted to, and there were snicker bars <laughs> and um, everyone had a car, and it was just abundance like I had never known. 
and I didn't know how to really process that. So I homeschooled my, um, my senior year, and I finished early. And so I said to my parents, I want to go to the States ahead of you guys, because the whole family was going to come up. Sorry. I'm probably going to be a little emotional on this part. So they let me come to the States, and I went to uh, Michigan and lived with my brother. Three months later, my parents came um, up to the U.S., and my dad had a heart attack and passed away four days after he got here. And so that was a really big moment in my life where I was in a strange place. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand anything. My dad was gone. I had to take care of my sister and my mom for the most part. My other, my two older brothers were grown and already had their own lives, you know. So it was tough. Um, but I met some amazing people. My friend Jason Springs I met at school, and he took me under his wing, understanding that I was quite delayed in my understanding of America. And so he taught me. He said, it's going to take me seven years to teach you how to be a good Southerner. And so uh, he taught me everything. He taught me about the United States and sports and what to say and what not to say and how not to act like you don't know what you're, anyone's talking about. And slowly but surely, I started to to figure out what life in America was supposed to be like. Um, but inside, I was still very um, torn up about the fact that I was a missionary kid, and I was like, why would you have me growing up in another country and then coming to the United States? And it was a lot. Like, missionary kids have this identity crisis that they go through at some point in their lives, or most of their lives. Um, and some people can move past it, and some people can't. I have I've known many, many of my my friends who I think are still trying to figure it out. Um, but I also had a big problem with the fact that my dad died. And, my, and that why would, why would, and I'm talking to God here, why would you take that guy off of the earth? He was the nicest guy you've ever met. He dedicated his entire life. When he was 17, he, he, he left Michigan, went to Mexico, and essentially never went back until he was 51. And then he died. And my mom, her whole whole life on the mission field, devastated. Um, it was a lot to try to figure out. And it left me with a lot of questions. Why him? There are so many terrible people on earth. He was doing good stuff. He was kingdom building. He was an inspiration to everyone who knew him. I didn't get any answer, which is often the case, right? <laughs> um, so then, you know, when you're, when you're in the mission field, when you're career missionaries, you sort of depend on churches and supporters back in the U.S. to support you. And so when my mom didn't go back to the mission field right away, all the churches and her supporters of 30 years started dropping off the map. 
And all of a sudden, she's a, a widow a year later with no support. And I felt like, man, Christians. How can you just leave, leave this woman like this? And, and, and then I was just mad. Mad at God. Mad at anyone who said that they were a Christian. Now, mind you, I didn't stop believing. It's hard to just stop believing once you believe. Because of, I experienced things growing up. The, the only answer was that it's God. Right? There is no other answer. Just look, look outside. Look at the world. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I didn't like Christians. And I didn't like churches. Um, so life went on. I slowly, you know, I met my wife. Um, I went to school. I worked at Bank of America for a while. Hated it. Decided to start my own business. Um, did pretty well. Built a good business. Had some employees, and I thought when I was about 28 years old, 29, I thought, man, is this it? I'm just going to be a web designer? <laughs> then my wife got pregnant somehow <laughs> with our second beautiful daughter, and I went into a little bit of a quarter-life crisis. Quarter-life I hope. And uh, I thought, man, I haven't been home in 10 years. Home being South America. I needed some adventure in my life before this child gets here because when that happens, it's all over. We already had one and one was already pretty hard. So I planned this big expedition to the Amazon. I wanted to just one last big hoorah in the jungle. And so I invited my friend at the time. I said, hey, man, come on this trip with me. It's going to be amazing. He was like, oh, okay. And we started planning, and all of a sudden, like three days out, he's like, dude, I can't do this. I'm not going on this trip with you. And I was like, "How could you? I'm not doing this alone. How could I do this alone? Aha, I'll take my wife. I can show her where I grew up. It's going to be amazing. Why didn't I think of this before? So I altered my uh, expedition a little bit and decided we're going to go to Peru. We are, that was always the plan, but Iquitos, Peru is in the middle of nowhere. You cannot get there except by boat from the mouth of the Amazon at the ocean on the other side of the continent, or you could fly into this place. So I thought, all right, I'm going to show her what the jungle was like. I'm going to have a good time. The jungle is not a hospitable place for a vacation if you're not used to it. So I don't know that my wife had that great of a time, but I certainly did. And we went and we went and they toured the jungle. And I said, look, babe, this is how you catch a piranha. Look at this beautiful flower. This is how snakes bite people. <laughs> this is the snake venom. See how it comes out when you press the back of the head? <laughs> oh, look at her. We had a good time. The place we stayed was this little eco-lodge, you know, the whole mosquito nets and water dripping on your face. It was not a great experience. Um, but I loved it, and I felt at home for the first time in a long time. 
when I was a kid in Colombia, if someone came to visit, like a supporter from a church, they would always come and tag me and say, hey, can you take him out into the jungle? I'd show him a good time, and I'd always do that. And I thought, man, I'd love to do that someday. Because the wonderment on people's faces when you show them something from, the, you know, in the... In the and so I was sort of living that out. And so we had to go to this village on the way out of, the, uh, out of there. After a few days, it was time to go back to the city. And these people just dropped you off, and they said, we'll be back in a week. And so we were sitting in this village. This is, these are actual pictures from that day at that place. There's Laura talking to people. And we were sitting there for an hour or two, in my memory of it anyway. This river is not very clean, but this kid takes that bottle, walks down to the river, fills it up, and walks back up the hill with it and starts drinking out of it. And that was normal. And I knew that. I mean, I, I grew up in that environment. And I was not walking with the Lord during this time. Not really. I was the back row at Forest Hill kind of guy. <laughs> we, we were not in a place, we were not in a good place spiritually at the time. I mean, I was still on my seven-year hiatus from Christians at this, at this point. But when I saw that kid fill up that water bottle, it was like God said to me, hey, what are you going to do about that? And I was like, oh, no. I am not my dad. I'm not my mom. I'm not a missionary. I'm not going to do that. And um, I didn't want to go borrow money. I didn't want to go beg churches. Hey, I want to do this project. Will you support this project? It'll be fun. I didn't want to deal with the Christians. I was enjoying not liking them. So I said no and went back to the United States and could not get that out of my head. And I just kept thinking... What does it say about you if you know how to fix something and you don't do it? And I just, it's all I could think about for weeks. And um, my solution was to build an eco-lodge of my own. Why, why just go back and do a water project when I can build a magnificent structure in the jungle? And this is going to bring tourists. Tourists are going to, uh, it's going to raise awareness. They're going to see that there's a problem. I'm going to take them to the villages. They're going to want to give money. And I get to be this jungle guy that people are amazed by. And yes, that's going to be the solution. And about a year later, Amazon Expeditions was in full tilt. Now, it didn't just happen like that. There's a lot I have to cut out of this story for the sake of time. I came back to the States, wrote a business plan, showed it to some people. first guy I showed it to was like, I'll pay for that. I'll jump into that. I went back to, the, to, to Peru. Okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to do this now. Couldn't find a hotel room. Ended up at this little hostel Went to bed, woke up the next morning. I think, all right, I have to find a lawyer. 
I have to figure out what kind of paperwork I need. I have to do all of these different things to do business in another country. I'm having coffee the next morning. This lady walks out, introduces herself. And now I'm just like, I pulled the Bible out. I'm like, all right, God. We haven't talked in quite some time. I might as well start getting back into this a little bit. The lady saw that I was reading the Bible. And she said, oh, I'm a believer too. And I said, well, sit down. Let's have some coffee. Turns out she owned the place that I was staying at. And her husband was an attorney. And he knew the guy at the customs office. And so she called him over across the street. He comes over. We go in one day and bypass three months of corporate paperwork, visas, special visas to conduct business. I mean, doors were just swinging open. And I'm like, oh, man, God is, (laughs) look at what God's doing. Yeah. You know, I'm slowly starting to grow in my spirituality. I'm seeing things happen. A lot of open doors. So many that I was somehow able to build an eco-lodge in the middle of the Amazon in about 14 months. And it was, it was really cool. Little bungalows that were built in this native fashion. Each one had their own bathroom. We had lounge area. We had buffet dining. It was nice. And people started showing up. We started getting bookings. The years started to pass. There I am. Look, so proud. That guy knew everything. Everything. We had face painting. You want to go hold a boa? No problem. You want to catch a big fish? We can do that. Kids programs, the whole nine yards. And now I'm just like on a mountain. Best spiritual shape I've ever been in. I'm doing crazy things. I'm in the jungle. I'm living out this childhood. Like All of a sudden, I start to realize why I was a missionary kid. I could never do this if I hadn't grown up in the jungle. Oh, man. First, and finally, I had some purpose in my life, right? Like, oh, my life makes sense now. I was designed for this. If there's anybody on earth who's living life the way they were designed to, it was me. And I loved it. And it wasn't just tourism. Finally got around to doing some water projects. We devised a system that pulled water from an existing body of water. There's no shortage of water. There are ponds, and all these people lived on rivers. Went up into a tank, got purified, came down, went through the various uh, filter systems. We found out, figured out a way to make them really inexpensively. I found a microbiologist uh, in that city who, who I partnered with, and he built my filters and, and helped me install everything, and we were really doing it. And we did one village and then another village. And then I was like, well, I should probably go back to the original village where we saw that kid. And so finally I was like, all right, time to do the village of San Juan. Boom. This one was a little bit different because I went down there with just uh, my buddy, Scott, and my daughter, Carissa, and his daughter, Emma. And basically the four of us and the water and my water crew put it together. Real simple, real easy, real inexpensive. <laughs> There's irony in that that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later on. <laughs> 
But it was very low-key, and we did it. And I showed pictures of the kid around. I was like, is this kid still here? I had more. I had more pictures than just this one. And they said, yeah, it's that kid right there. And if you look at him in the face, it is it's the same kid. And there's a kid. He is drinking water from the system after we built it. And it was like, man, look what I've done. I was doing good, but there was a huge part of me that um, was heavily invested in me, right? This was really, a lot of it was me. I'm the little Indiana Jones missionary guy. I'm doing it my way. Life is good. Things were great. I felt amazing. Right? I answered God when he called. Well, then all of a sudden things started changing. I got a call one day from my water uh, team and the microbiologist, and he said, hey, we've been offered a better job with somebody else. So we're gone. No, that was it. I had no more water crew. And I was like, I can't do this without a water crew. It was a unicorn event to find that guy to begin with. Some time passes. Um, the, fl- the, the lodge flooded. <laughs> the banks of the Amazon rose, as is common, but it rose abnormally high and basically destroyed the place, and it was going to have to be mostly rebuilt, which we sort of struggled through, but we made that happen. And I don't have time to talk about all of the different things, but we had, it wasn't just tourism. You know, we were, we had a contract with the U.S. government to train people there, some of our soldiers, that was on the cusp of going somewhere. Like, it was a big deal. They called and said, hey, uh, the sequester, government shutdown of 2000 and, I don't know, Obama era. He said, we have to put this thing on hold. We'll come back to you. I said, okay. All of a sudden, I had no training program. I had no way to do more water projects. My lodge was, was in repair, but what that meant was I was going to miss the tourism season. So it was just a huge kick. And all of these things started happening, and I came, I was back in the States, and I realized that all of a sudden my marriage was like in terrible shape. It was falling apart, and I didn't even see it coming. How could I? I was out saving the world. Right? I was traveling back and forth, a super supportive wife, who was at this point at home raising three, four, maybe more children. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and all of a sudden, things got very dark. I, I had was losing things left and right, and I was I had a little office in Matthews, and I went down there. No windows. It was a tiny little place, the kind of place you could easily get sucked into and forget about time. And I was there freaking out one morning, and I, I was like, "What am I going to do, God? This is nothing is working anymore." And he said, take out a piece of paper. This is like, God has spoken to me in a way that is unmistakable. Unmistakable. A couple of times in my life, and this is one of them. 
I said, pull out a piece of paper, write down everything you're involved with right now. And I only had 11 by 17 for some reason. I pulled it out and I said, the lodge, Peru, Affect International, which is the name of my sister organ at my nonprofit company that I had started in, to support this thing. And we didn't just do stuff in Peru. We were, uh, we were in Guatemala. We had dozens of programs in a lot of different places, and we had a lot going on, and I wrote all of that stuff down. And then I, what I was doing on the side, if you will, is my consulting business here in the States, and that's where I actually made my money. <laughs> all this other stuff wasn't actually making money. I didn't go get support. Why would I? I was going to do the for-profit ecotourism for a good cause thing. So he said, write it all down, and I did. And then he said, you forgetting something? Oh, family. That was a true story. <laughs> he said, circle two. Huh? Circle two. You can keep two of them. And I picked the thing that made my money and my family. And he said, okay. Shut it all down. And I'll let you know what's next. Now, this was not good news for me. But there was some part of me that found relief in this. Like, things were bad enough to where I was like, oh, this, is, this sucks. But I'm not going to survive what it was doing to me mentally if I don't. So I called my general manager in Peru and I said, can you do this without me? She said, yeah. I said, send me the paperwork. I wasn't going to try to sell the place. So I gave it to the people who helped me build it. And I called my buddy who was uh, my partner in the nonprofit, and I said, I got I to gotta be with my family, man. I, I can't do this, these programs anymore. And he said, all right, no problem. Go do what you need to do. And I signed over the, the nonprofit member uh, management thing to him and um, I called the army and I said, I'm out of this business now. You should call this guy over here. He's a good, he's, he's going to be a good guy for you to train. And then, and it all happened in all that sign off and shutdown and everything essentially happened in one, a one week time period. And then it was just me in my office. No more trips. Before, I was always ready for my next trip. I knew it was, oh, it was the 15th of next month. I'm going to be down there for two weeks. And now there was nothing like that. Being there was the way that I energized myself to live here. <laughs> it was like recharging a battery. I couldn't live in America if I couldn't go recharge in the jungle. Um, and that was tough. That was... Um, I said, God, why would you do this? Why would you open all those doors for me? Why would you make me a missionary kid only to bring me to that point, open all those doors in South America, put me on top of the world, let me fulfill my dreams as a child, do good work for you, only to just shut it all down as fast as you opened it all up for me. I couldn't could not wrap my mind around it. I was mad. And 
Now I was mad at God. Because in fulfilling those things, it justified all of the disappointment and pain I had before. Getting to do that made all of the stuff before. But now that I can't do that, it was like I had everything from the beginning until that point to add to this giant ash heap of insignificance. And I've lost seven years of my life tooling around in the jungle for God and country and Mike Dickerman. I said, God, if you want me to do web design, you're going to have to give me the passion back for that because I don't have any passion whatsoever for it anymore. And I sat in that little one room for about 12 months just being an apex nihilist. I hated human beings, cockroaches, I used to call them. People just made me mad. God just made me more mad. I stopped reading the Bible for years. The anger built in me to such a degree I cannot put it into words. But slowly, I started getting really passionate about design again and the art of what I was doing. And it slowly started to, I started to get a little bit more into it. And I said, all right. It is what it is. I need to build this company, and my job is to make money, and that's it. Can't do what you want in life? Forget it. I'm just going to get really good at this and make a bunch of money, buy all stuff I don't need. <laughs> and so it started growing. Business was good. All of a sudden, I had employees again. Life went on. Started hanging out with my family. It took a couple of years of really hard work for my wife and I to put our marriage back together. It was hard. In my mind, I blamed her for all of this. It wasn't for many years where I saw that she had nothing to do with it. None of this was, had anything to do with her. None of it. Because all of these things happened. All of the decline of this whole operation started falling apart long before our marriage did. Anyway. So what happened was, all of a sudden, I started feeling pretty good. I, while I was in this very dark time, we decided to switch churches. And we went to Queen City back in the Visualite days. And this was when I was at my worst. And, man, on the first day I walked in, I thought, this is it. This is my, if I'm going to go to a church, it's going to be this one. They're pretty cool. A lot of cool young people here. I'm going to try to go pretend to be young again. But Queen City, like, this place played a massive role in putting me back together again. And as time went on, and I started spending time with Christians and sharing struggles, right? Like, Christians, I think, are notorious for being like, man, my life is great. And there's, it's not. Some of us are in dark places when we're pretending to be great. I hated humanity when I was pretending everything was fine. Right? Hated them. I would gladly have started a fist fight on the street if I could. I mean, I was just, I probably wouldn't have won. But that's how bad I was, I was angry. 
And it was the lowest of the low that I'd ever been. But slowly it started building back up. And I was driving down the road probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, feeling pretty good, remembering Peru, Colombia, ah, the good old days. And I said, how about now? You want to tell me why all that happened? He said, well, you finally did what I asked you to do. I said, what do you mean? He said, you put that water uh, system in that village. And it occurred to me, he didn't ask me to build an eco-lodge. He didn't ask me to start a nonprofit. He didn't ask me to have a dozen programs across two or three countries. He didn't ask me to be a tour guide. He asked me to do that one thing, that one village. I could have done it with my buddy and my daughter. And I could have done it in a week, really inexpensively, but I didn't. I spent seven years and hundreds of thousands of dollars building up an empire that I created for myself, perhaps, under the guise of, I'm doing this for God. I believed that at the time. But if I'm honest with myself now, 99% of what I did there, I did for myself. I was like, wow, you didn't ask me to do all that, did you? And then I realized that he let me do my own thing until I finished the thing that he asked me to finish. And then he said, thank you, and closed all the doors. (sighs) What? It took seven years in countless stories to learn one simple thing. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 9. Within your heart, you can make your plans for your future, but the Lord chooses the steps that you take to get there. He gave me a lot of rope. He let me do all kinds of stuff that wasn't on the plan. But he did change the mission when the mission was over. Missions change. For me, what really brought this together... change my uh, translation here. Psalm 46 says it all. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, do not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. Think about that for a second. Hollywood has done a pretty good job of showing what that looks like in a couple of movies. Post-apocalyptic, you know, like. Imagine the mountains falling into the heart of the sea. It's hard to imagine that. 
It's power beyond what we can even comprehend. Verse 7, which I know is not up there. The Lord Almighty is with us. Now, this is the same Lord Almighty that can melt the earth and shake the mountains to the sea. We either believe what this thing says or we don't. And if it's saying, if it's saying that the most awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping power of the universe is on our side, we've got to believe that, right? And if it's true then what are we worried about? See, I was so caught up trying to rationalize what I wanted for my life. I didn't realize that, like, I have a, I have a, we all have a path that we're on. There's, there's a mission for every one of us. What I failed to understand was that my, to me, if it wasn't in the jungle or in another country or required a plane trip and a boat trip and a, it wasn't really worth doing. It was too small, right? Ah, I want the big ones. But when we only go after the big ones, we forget about all the little ones. And then we try to put all this meaning, like I should have this in my life. I should be this thing. I should be that thing. We all have talents, but like Proverbs says, God is going to put us to work if we're listening and if we're saying yes and we're putting it in his hands. My favorite uh, verse of the Bible is um, Psalm 46, 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on earth. We have be still and know that I am God on our stove at home and I see it every day and I've always loved that verse because it's like when the frenetic chaos of our lives is overwhelming us to the point where we can't even think. I think the, the whole meaning for me in my existence is to be still and know that I am God. This is the same God that can crumble the mountains into the depths of the sea. He's already on our side. <laughs> right? All of a sudden, that chaos, this disappointment, like becomes like, oh, you mean someone's carrying me through this life and we're going to be okay? Yeah. It's hard to go through shaky marriages. It's hard to, to, to realize Maybe what you wanted for your life isn't going to happen. And some people will say, well, how do you feel about, you know, you didn't get to live out your dreams? I did. I wanted to show people the jungle. I did. He asked me to do water. That was awesome. I've checked off my entire bucket list before I was 38. I saw that as a massive failure. Because what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I did not. I saw it as abject failure. But what I came to realize 
through this scripture. And one of the things I love about the be still and know that I'm God is in the Passion Translation. It says, surrender your anxiety. I love that. Because being disappointed and, and being anxious, like all that comes together in the same place. We have so many disappointments that we can't see past for our own agenda that we, we forget to look at something like this and say, you know, God is on our side. We're, we're going to run into situations in our lives that we do not like. Missions change. Be still and know that I am God. Your dad dies. Man, be still in that moment, in that chaos. Be still and know that I am God. Politics cause you to lose some friends. Be still and know that I am God. When you get benched, I'm perfect for this thing. Be still and know that I am God. When the fear of the unknown paralyzes us. Anyone been paralyzed of fear of the unknown? Like what's going to happen this year? Like, Be still and know that I am God. We're going to be okay, guys, no matter how bad it gets, no matter the loss, even if we don't understand it. I did not get my answers for years. I got my answer about my dad. Why him? He was ready. It made sense. I was like, yeah, of course he was. I certainly wasn't. He was ready. My encouragement to you today is that as we move through our lives, we have to remember that we have all the flexibility in the world to make plans. But God is going to determine how we get there. And we have to be flexible. We have to be listening. We have to say yes. We have to remember that we are already on the winning team. Be still and know that I am God. That's all I got. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 